0: Support for this episode comes from PCG digital. It is anywhere from difficult to impossible to manage every aspect of the changing digital landscape, rather than trying to do it yourself. Why not leave it to an award-winning team of digital marketing specialists who have mastered it all connect your message with more potential customers with PCG digital, go to PCGDigital.com for more information. Yes, we know that culture as a word is tossed around all of the time, but it really does matter to your organization if the culture is built in a thoughtful manner. Now, I know many of you will sit here and say, well, Glenn, how do you do that? How do I build a business culture first? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have brought back for a power episode, Lyman Savvy, who is the founder of 321 Ignition, and she talks about that, how she used all of her previous experiences working for large companies and small companies, what she put in place when she started 321 Ignition, and it's really tactical, it's really strategic, and it's going to help you. So let's dive into today's power episode of You're in Charge, conversations that spark change with Lyman Savvy. with that sense of what the culture was, because there's people out there who are going to in your same shoes saying I'm starting something or I'm in charge of this team or I'm in charge of this division. And they're looking around going, yeah, I hear about culture, but I don't know how to build it. Or I don't know how to maintain it. Or I'm not even sure what it is. It sounds like you had a very conscious vision of what you wanted your company to be, meaning your employees and work environment. Yes, we know about uh, the focus on the customer experience, and, and, and that's a priority. But internally, walk me through some of the ways that you made decisions about how you wanted your company to run, interact, grow, so that those listeners who are having those same challenges can take some tactical things away.
1: Well, you know how I earlier said the um, leading at a speed of trust has to do with mm-hmm. both customers, partners, and same with employees. I'm very thorough about how I document things and how I communicate things, because there's a lot that goes on in my little brain, <laughs> and it's very, very important to make sure that, I, you know, when I'm communicating my vision, that everybody really understands. And so, like, for example, even when I went to one of the conferences and there was so much to report to my team and we have a pretty big team and my team is around the world, Mm -hmm. like we've been uh, remote from day one, which, uh, as you could imagine, a lot of companies were struggling during the pandemic. Like, oh, my God, how do we not show up, you know, to work or are people going to be productive? We've been remote from day one. What that has allowed us to do, one is to recruit top talent anywhere in the world versus like I live here in Seattle. Good luck finding good employee. Like I'm competing against literally every big joint company in the United States is in Seattle, right right? Like I'm not going to be able to find, you know, great employees who want to go to a startup because startups are risky. So like, even like when I was leaving Microsoft, like imagine I'm giving up my bonuses, my stock options, my 401k, my amazing benefits and everything. So like, you know, how do you find, you know, how do you get somebody, unless you're a CEO and insane, how are you going to recruit, you know, somebody from those companies to come work at a startup? Right. So, you know, by us being a remote, it allowed me to, um, you know, attract the talent from around the world, the best talent, But the best thing, I think, because we're remote from day one, when we're interviewing people, I've always had in mind, like, can this person be trusted to work on their own? You know, they're not checking in, they're not clocking out. And, you know, right now, what's that phrase? uh, We have a knowledge economy, you know, back in the days, you know, when when you had factory workers, you know, they clock in, clock out. And so your productivity was measured in the hours you worked an economy you know market it's not about how many hours it's about your output and so you know our company culture from day one like i don't care if you work uh you know if you have take your kids to school or they have a uh, you know braces dentist appointment whatever as long as you get your work done even if it takes you one hour to get work done that takes for other people six hours great take the rest of six hours off i don't right. care you know, it's a knowledge economy. And uh, so the, to me, company culture, it's all about one as a leader. I have to be very transparent. And even though in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I think I've repeated this like at least a hundred times to every single person and I have to get it. <laughs> so I try to document things, document, 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 and always reference things. And then a uh, process where you organize things, where somebody goes and finds, which my business partner is a hundred times better at it than I am. Uh, my business partner now, I are great compliment to each other. He's more of a process oriented and I'm more of the crazy innovative person. like constantly pushing the edges and he always brings me back to reality and says, let's document this and let's, you know, create a process around it.
0: And oh, but that so- That's very similar to my brother and myself. You know, he's a, he's probably built a little more like you in the ideas and let's go. And I see what's around the corner, let's go. And I'm the one who would build the processes and say, okay, well, let me build it. Um, And he's pulled me a little out to be more ideas. And I've pulled him back a little to say, no, before we do it, let's document. Doesn't want to slow him down. So it sounds like, you know, you're the gas pedal and your partner's a little bit of the brake, not riding the brake, but just enough to to make sure we're not going off the road. Let's see what I like about what you just said. And again, folks, if you're listening there, you speak very quickly. But I know. So, no, but there's so much in it. I hope everyone's really listening or pausing it or going back and listening to it again. The whole concept of over-communication, I don't think you can over-communicate. Now, you can over-communicate poorly, but to your point, if you're clear on the vision, talking in clear, actionable steps that then someone can execute on, but the other point is document, documenting conversations, documenting processes, that allows people to gain what you were saying earlier, that speed of trust. Because if I trust this is the process, I don't have to think about it anymore because here are the steps I do. Now I can go fast because I know the steps. But if I'm always guessing what Lyman really means or I'm always looking over my shoulder going, am I doing the right thing? I can't run fast because my eyes are not directed at the end goal, they're they're distracted. So, so those two points, folks, over-communicate, Making sure everyone's clear, knows what they need to do, and then documenting a process because then the process is repeatable. But more importantly, it's scalable because the next person you hire, here's the process. Here's what we do. And they go, okay. And they go versus it's my way, your way, someone else's way, which just bogs down companies from accelerating.
1: Yeah. 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 And the the other thing is, you know, it's really important to hire people with common sense. I always say that, you know, common sense is not common sense. You know, sometimes you, of course, could document things, but also it's really important to hire people who would have, well, does this, even though it's documented right here, does this actually make sense? Like, let's- so let me ask you
0: that because someone I know somebody's going to be sitting right here now saying, "Well, how do I interview?" All right, I'm sitting across from. The- how do you? It sounds easy. Well, I'm just going to hire somebody with common sense. <laughs> how do you figure that out in the interview process?
1: Oh my god, common sense is the hardest thing to interview for. <laughs> like, literally the hardest. <laughs> because some, I'm always like, "Isn't this common sense?" Right. Common sense is not common sense. It's the funniest thing. I mean, uh, when I interview people, actually, you know, what I love to ask first of all, I don't care about the pedigree of the education and stuff like that, because, you know, I'm a refugee. I came to United States as a, you know, with um, running away from the war and, you know, we were living on food stamps and everything. So I didn't have the luxury, you know, to go apply after school, colloquium activities, you know, to get into Ivy League schools and stuff like that, but I put myself through school, through college, through everything. I worked, um, you know, during the day, went to school at night in many ways, you know, I think that actually gave me a lot more, made me more, a lot more valuable because as I was going to school and learning about business, learning about marketing, I was actually already doing it. Right. So like, I think I actually learned a lot more from than the typical college student, you know, who was in a fraternity and, you know, probably drinking half the time, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, so when I interview people, I like to know what was their struggle, how resilient are they? Um, you know, resilience is another thing, and it's a growth mindset versus fixed mindset. You know, there's three types of people, uh, one type of person, you know, who fails and that's it; their life is over. They're just like, you know, catastrophe. They can't operate. They can't mm-hmm. function. They have low self-esteem. Right. Other times, you know, the second type of person, the growth mindset person is like, well, okay, I. I failed. I learned something from it. And the third one where that actually, whatever happened to them, it, it was a pivotal moment in their life. And so I really to when I interview people is to learn about what they've accomplished. And most importantly, are they inquisitive? If you're inquisitive, mm. inquisitive is almost important, important thing. Like like I said earlier, you know, Glenn, I was entering automotive space, knew nothing about car dealerships, never worked at a car dealership in my life, never would have thought in a million years I would be in a car dealership. People have told me, "Lemme, you have no retail experience selling cars. What the hell are you doing? But I'm the most inquisitive person, not to, you know, put myself, brag myself in the no. back. But, like, I'm extremely inquisitive. I ask more wise than anybody else. I drive my friends nuts. One of my best friends was us, my employee, Dana. She's like, you're like the biggest white person. She's like, I drive her nuts coming, you wise ass. So, if a person is inquisitive, then I know that they will figure things out. Like, even if it's not documented in the process, they will figure out because they're inquisitive enough to stop and think, well, wait a minute, even though this book said I should do this, should I really do it? You know, but I
0: think most CEOs, most like you were saying back with Elon Musk and most, most very successful leaders, CEOs, or just leaders in general, they don't have to have the title of that. They're always asking why they're asking, why is this being done or why aren't we hitting our numbers? Or they're trying to work with their team to say, well, why isn't she able to do this? Or why can't I communicate this? It's always, moving forward to accomplish the goal versus blaming and i think that's a great question i ask that uh in a, in a in a different way i'll ask it tell me a, tell me a time where you ran a project or you were in charge of something and it didn't work out walk yeah. me through what happened what i'm listening for is are they blaming other people oh you know i had a manager and they used to do this or oh, they didn't give me this or you know i had a team and they wouldn't listen that tells me right there, they're not willing to look at themselves versus someone, I interviewed someone and I hired them and their, their answer was, you know, we were all working together. I'm not sure I was clear enough. You know, what I learned was we need to do X. All of a sudden it became, to your point, inquisitive, self-reflective. They're working on themselves to move forward. I want a team of those people versus it's everybody else's fault but mine.
1: Yeah. And, you know, my business partner always tells me, he's like, Lyman, as a CEO, everything is your fault. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it doesn't yep.
1: matter what happens. Everything yep. is your fault. And so I could not, I have no right to ever blame anybody on anything. If something didn't go right, where did I mess up? Like, did I not communicate clearly enough? And I always say, like, yes. I know English is my second language. I'm like, am I not speaking English right now? Does everybody understand what I'm saying?
0: Well, it's, it's again, and this is the key. And I've worked with some people on that as well, uh, because I feel the exact same way. It's not that they understand you. Do they understand what they need to do? Like I always say actions cause results. And I've sat there sometimes and I thought I was very clear and everyone in the room nodded their head. I said, do you understand what I need? And they go, yes, yes, yes. But what I didn't take was that what I learned a long time ago is I have to make sure they understand what they need to physically do. What are the steps they are going to do? That then allows them to have actions to follow because they could understand it but the picture in their head is different than the picture in your head. And that's when you go, wait a minute, we missed. Where did that go? And where did that happen? And, um, but what I love about you, your passion for this is, you know, you're, I'd like to say everybody feels this way, but I can just feel like bubbling across the microphone and across the, for those of you watching, you can see it, you're bouncing in your seat. The energy, (laughs) the the passion of, your the, your love for your team your love for your business the passion for what you're doing i mean it's it's just self-evident um so what let me so let me ask you a question then so i want to just wind you back a little bit because as you said you were i think in your bio you were around 10 when you came to this country was that about right 10 years old
1: Uh nine years old
0: nine years old. okay so that puts you so let's give you a few years under your belt here you're Ninth or 10th grade, which probably puts you in that 14, 15-year-old age. Mm-hmm. How, are some of these traits, this work ethic, this passion, this I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to ask questions, has that always been here? Or has it been, you know, when you look back at that person, you do you see the seeds of who you are right now? Or was it something later on that triggered this evolution to this, these multiple successes that you've had.
1: Definitely. My uh, journey coming here as a refugee built me who I am today. I mean, like uh, back in the Soviet union days, I mean, I'm from Azerbaijan, which used to be part of USSR and then it collapsed in 1991, you know, so, the other countries like what I love about America is we have middle class in other countries you either have poor class or rich class there is no middle class and so if you were born poor you're always going to be poor if you were born rich you're always going to be rich because it's all about bribes it's all about who knows who who's going to make the call for you and so like I remember like living in the USSR when we had stamps you know that the government would issue us to go buy milk or to go buy you know potatoes or whatever it is, and I have you know so many stories about you know those incidents when there was not enough food, mm-hmm. and then coming to America and there's abundance of everything. And I've always said, you know, if I didn't succeed, it's because I didn't want it badly enough. Everything I want, I could get as long as I just wanted badly enough. And you know, coming here with my parents, uh, you know, my mom was just a, she didn't even have a high school degree. She had me, my twin, at the age of seventeen. So mm-hmm. I saw how much she struggled, you know, coming to a new country, not speaking the language. And then also my stepdad was abusive. So we had to run away from him. And so I saw even more how she struggled with four kids by herself, you know, barely speaks English, no college or high school education. And so, and, you know, my mom had this uh, really powerful talk with me once. It was a very short talk, but it was a very powerful talk. It was the best talk she could have ever gave me. And she basically set me and my twin up, down where we were living in Florida at that time, and she said, listen, she's like, I'm a single mom with four kids. I don't have the energy or the time to work all day. And then the discipline four kids and, you know, check it. Did you guys do your homework? Did you do this? She's like, if you don't want to go to school, fine. You're going to be like me. If you want to make something better of yourself, go study. You have an opportunity here. That was the best talk that she could have ever had. I mean, Especially, you know, there's so many women who are dependent on a man, you know, for financial reasons Mm -hmm. or whatever, and whether they're in a good situation or bad situation, they'll stick with that man because they're, you know, afraid, you know, to be alone or not sure how to survive and things like that. And my mom was a survivor, you you know, to be able to run away and, you know, say, screw it, you know, and take the four kids she taught me, my sister, the biggest lesson, the best lesson. And I think that just the and plus my grandma was a total workaholic. I mean, my grandma is now 78 years old. She was already 65 years old. She should have been retired. She had two jobs, and I didn't even know she had two jobs. One of my friends came up to me and said, Lyman Lana, do you guys know that your grandma's working two jobs? Like, why aren't you guys helping her? I'm like, I didn't know she was working two jobs. <laughs> so then we started helping her, you know, basically she would for herself so she would stop working. Like So part of it, I don't know if it's my DNA, if that's just how, you know, my biologically I'm wired, but it's definitely also my environment, you know, seeing what, what happens when you don't, you know, you're not independent, you're not control of your future. But most importantly, I mean, in America, we have so many opportunities. There's no reason for anybody not to be successful. I mean, of course, everybody considers success, different things, but like, you know, I have some friends who's, you know, um, they're really, really high up executives. I'm not going to name the kids that are watching because I don't want them to know that I'm talking about them. But their kids are just really not motivated or accomplished. And they talk about you know, social justice and things like that. I'm like, or they say, you know, things like money is not important. I'm like, the only reason why you're saying money is not important is because you grew up privileged. Right, (laughs) you have money.
0: That's why you're saying money is not important.
1: (laughs) uh, Like, wait until your parents, you know, take the money away and then we'll see how money is not important, you know? So it's, a. I think I'm wired the way I am, a combination of one, You know, I grew up poor, so I've experienced both, you know, extremes and I definitely like the other extreme better, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and two is just that to me, it's my security blanket. If I'm ever in a bad position, I have so much dignity and pride and like I would never be dependent on anyone. I will survive. Like I always better myself. And, you know, three is just the, you know, you are your environment and my grandma, you know, my mom's stuff, Russian ladies, you know, they tell me better than that.
0: No, so. but I think that, and, and, and the reason I I'm, I've been asking that question of my guests lately is because there's always seeds and, and, and I'm, I'm also leave, you know, part of why I do this is. So that my kids look at this and say, oh, dad made sense. Dad understood what he was talking about. Um, but it's about that journey, because sometimes when you're in the beginning of it, you don't see the outside or you don't or you take some of the that work ethic for granted or you just say, yeah, well, the parents just saying this. But in, in that ninth and 10th grade, because my oldest is now a junior, youngest is in eighth grade, and I see their development into what's realizing that effort matters. And yes, there's a security of I'm providing a a roof over their head. And yes, they have some things, but there's also lessons of responsibility and accountability. And I just see it in my oldest son now, all of a sudden going, ooh, working, that's not, doesn't seem like too much fun. I said, well, that's a mental aspect. You have to one, find something you want to do, but even if you're doing something that isn't your end goal, it's a mental attitude of how you approach it every single day because you're going to do it. So you can spend eight hours being miserable or eight hours at least trying to enjoy what you're doing. But I think to you for, for what it is, is that, that, that example. And I think I, I, I'm going to just make an assumption, but to, because you've said it a couple of times, seeing the abundance when there was none that it's there if you want to work for it, where people who see the abundance or who are used to the abundance, no longer see abundance. They actually, in a weird way, look at it as there's not enough. If that makes sense.
1: It's almost like they look at it as not enough, or they blame it as we have too much and therefore we're paralyzed. <laughs> because I actually have one woman who is part of the nonprofit. I'm part of her kids actually say, mom, it's your fault that you give us so much That we're so unmotivated, and I'm like, that is the most backwards way of thinking about it. But kind of makes sense a little bit.
0: Well, I mean, again, there there is always that as a parent. It's very, you know, it is a battle because you look at times and you say, well, I don't want my children to suffer the way I did. And but there's there's a difference between giving them everything with no responsibility, no accountability but still giving them some things, but it is this idea of, well, you have to work around the house and you have to make your bed and you have to go get a job. Or if you want that, I will, you know, my father always taught me a very good lesson when we were young, because we were solidly middle-class as you would say that middle-class father worked very hard, never had to worry for anything for food or a house or anything along those lines. But if I wanted a bicycle right he'd say well i'll buy you this bicycle and i'd say what i want that cool bicycle mm-hmm. he said well i'll give you this much and then you go earn the rest go out and rake leaves and shovel snow and you know do odd jobs around the neighborhood or save your money and then you can go get that so it was this combination i'll give you x but if you want y you have to go work for it and i think that you can still do without making your children unmotivated. And I, I I think that's just a lazy excuse for the children. It sounds like there's no accountability other than them just saying, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. And then then all you're doing is creating children that are gonna walk into the workplace and say, well, I get whatever I want around here. And that's gonna be a rude awakening.
1: Yeah, you know, I watched uh, Barbara Corcoran from the Corcoran Group. She's also one of the Shark uh, Yes. And I listened to her podcast and she once said, she's like, secretly, I always wish my kids would suffer. She's like, I know it's a horrible thing to say as a parent. You don't want your kids to out- suffer. But she's like, but I want them to suffer a little, a little because unless kids suffer, they don't realize. the First of all, they're not grateful for what they have. And two, they're just not ambitious or motivated and driven and things like that. Right. So I think it's one of my favorite things. And I don't have any kids like Glenn, you being a father and the fact that you have kids. I always say running a company is way easier than actually raising kids. <laughs> like anybody, well, but I be-
0: think those. I think <laughs> I think you can actually take what you just said to apply it to your your employees because there are some people that want to make it easy for their employees, so they end up telling them what to do and reminding them what to do instead of saying, "This is your job. I'll train you," but eventually you have to do it on your own. So that that. Uh, has a part of failure to it, meaning you sometimes have to watch your employees run into the wall because that's the lesson they need to learn. You could scream, don't run into the wall, but then they're going to depend on you always. And you have to remember to tell them don't run into the wall. So it is a little (laughs) of that. And you can take that uh, from that, because you don't want to make it easy, because then you're doing their job, and you have your own job to do, and that and that's not going to make your company successful. So I love that
1: analogy, Glenn. So so anytime somebody says Lyman, how come you don't have kids? I'm gonna be like, I do have kids. I have, I got, have over forty kids. I got I forty kids that. around
0: here, and oh my God, it's you know that's even <laughs> yeah maybe maybe two kids or one kids enough. A... Well, I hope you got a lot out of that. I know I did. I really do enjoy talking with Lyman again. Her passion. It literally comes through uh, the microphone, and if you are watching, you'll see it as well. She just bounces with that optimism and enthusiasm, and as she said, we should be so grateful that uh, the abundance that many of us have and to take advantage of that uh, for good, you know being able to achieve your goals because there is so much abundance and and, and I really enjoyed it. So please make sure that you check out 321 Ignition. Uh, the links are in the uh, show notes. Also connect with Lyman out on LinkedIn, as she said. So I really do appreciate you listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, go to Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Make sure that you subscribe. Please share it out. I'm sure there's a lot of people who could benefit from what Lyman just shared. As always, You can go to glenpash.com for some free training and leadership materials. I do appreciate it. I know there's a lot of places that you could be listening and consuming content, but the fact that you chose to spend some time with me and Lyman means the world to me. Thank you again. As I say at the end of every episode, you're in charge, but now Lyman gave you a few more tools to help you become more successful, both personally and professionally. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.